Hey everybody, I'm Sean Rosensteel, author of The School of Intentional Living and host of Authorized, where authors go live to reveal their insights, stories, and best lessons from their most recent works. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this week's episode. All right, Shona Elliott, thank you for being on the show today. I'm excited to reconnect with you here. Oh, same here, Sean. Thanks so much. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, you bet. You bet. So you were one of the crazy people like me who decided to publish a book this year. Yeah. Right? <laughs> who would have thought that we would know all that we know now in terms of what's happening in 2020? Yeah. So your new book, Create Value as a Senior Leader. How's that going? I think it's been out since March. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my publishing path is uh, a bit different than most authors. So uh, with my um, publisher, we released the Amazon, uh, I released a book on Amazon in March, and I'm currently going through print publication now. So I'll have print available probably later this year and available in bookstores, uh, April of 2021, the cycle for Bookstore placement is always much longer, which is why I think authors are just going through the or the Amazon path these days or sure. type of uh, indie publisher. And then I'll have audio available, I believe, January as well. So it's been interesting because the design allows me to really kind of go heavy with marketing uh, when my book is in bookstores in April. So I have like a couple different campaigns I can do. And with COVID this year, that has been a gift. So uh, it kind of let me have it on Amazon and serve that purpose. And then it will serve different purposes as we hit audio and bookstores uh, in 2021. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm a big fan of creating value, of receiving value. So your title really caught my eye. Can you tell us a little bit about what the book is about, how it came to be? Sure. Um, so prior to writing a book, uh, I had 15 plus uh, years of uh, senior leadership experience, largely in the healthcare setting. Uh, and um, I had my daughter uh, four and a half years ago, and I tried to kind of do both. I worked remotely uh, during my maternity leave, and I had cut a deal uh, with my board uh, to kind of do a day a week. That turned to be out to be 20 to 30 hours a week. And I kind of realized by the sixth or seventh month that trying to juggle being a mom, a CEO, uh, a good wife, uh, you know, a sane person, uh, something had to go. So I had the blessing to be able to stay home with Savannah. And I stepped back from my professional career for a few years. And she started preschool last August. And I had the naive thought that, hmm, I have all this time on my hands while she's in school. I, I want to do something with it. So I decided to uh, write a book. A an opportunity landed on my lap almost immediately as she started preschool. And I didn't think I was going to write about being a senior leader or senior leadership. I had another uh, idea or two unrelated to my professional career. And as I was writing my book proposal, I just couldn't help but write it about leadership. It was just in me. It was effortless. And uh, as that developed, I realized I had no choice but to write a book on, on leadership and senior leadership specifically. Uh, so my manuscript, I was finished in January, I wrote it fairly quickly. The, the book writing process was effortless. It was the editing processes that I, I think yeah. I struggled with uh, more than the writing itself. And, uh, and the book was published in March. So it was a very quick process. And the book is really around kind of my views, experience, and also what's in the literature and research uh, around the importance of connecting with employees on the front line and as senior leaders seeing the reality of the working conditions uh, your employees are facing every day as they're providing the service or the product uh, to your clients or customers. And I always found in my career as senior leaders, 
the more you're wrapped up in your senior, senior leadership role and all the busyness with it, you, you lose your way with respect to the actual reality of what's happening uh, at the front lines. And so being as connected as you can be while being the senior leader, I think served me well uh, during my career. There's many times I was disconnected. Uh, and when you're disconnected uh, from the employees and, and your customers that you're serving, you're making decisions that you're ending up off mark with or off point, and then you're having to clean it up and spending all that energy doing the cleanup. So I learned some interesting lessons uh, all throughout my career in terms of needing to always find ways to plug in uh, with your employees and see everything for yourself. And I say dispelling with management mythology, the stories we tell ourselves in business meetings all the time. Uh, you need to fact check what you're hearing and fact check it through employee perspective and employee voice. So that is the essence of my book. And uh, it was fun to write it from the aspect of being able to always know uh, intuitively what works and then really kind of doing the deep dive on the literature and the research uh, to kind of validate what I've always known. And at some point in my career, I, I did my uh, PhD for three years, doctorate studies, on change management and uh, organizational de design and leadership. So I had a lot of exposure to kind of the studies and research, but didn't have the time to really integrate that with application. And I was able to do that in the last three or four months. So it was a real gift for me. I think it was just kind of helpful from a cathartic point of view to write about it, research it, and kind of put it all together. So it was a, it was a good process. That's awesome. So just from hearing you, I can kind of gather assumptions about who the ideal reader might be, but is there a certain size of a business or a certain vertical or industry or in a market that you're targeting with the book? Uh, not particularly. It is a senior leader. Um, and so I have lots of um, passion and interest in helping frontline managers, and that might be a future book for me. And certainly uh, frontline managers can read it and take away lots from uh, the book that's helpful for them today. And yet my, my ideal client or reader uh, for the purposes of this book is a senior leader. Uh, senior leaders shape the culture of an organization and they do so with every decision and every interaction with an employee. And yet they're not connected uh, necessarily all the time. And yet making decisions, assumptions around their business and how employees are treated without that context. And for me, that's the message I'm really wanting them to hear that there is value to carve out time in your calendar and schedule to connect with employees and doing so serves what your ultimate organizational goals are. And so kind of connecting the dots for them along the way. So that is my ideal client. And in terms of sector, I think it's applicable to all sectors. There isn't a single organization that doesn't have employees in it, unless you're an employee of one. Uh, and so I think it works for, for big and small. And I believe uh, even with smaller businesses, as I'm working with a couple of CEOs of smaller businesses, the messages in it are almost um, even more helpful because uh, there's a lot more face time, a lot more interaction. And if you're not showing up in ways to really hear employee voice, and if you're in the space of assumptions thinking you know, because it's a small business, what they're feeling, uh, that does as much damage as not being connected as, you know, at all. So I think there's some value to small businesses as well as the, the big, large organizations and corporations. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. So I saw on Amazon, you've got some really awesome, positive reviews. Yeah. What have you heard from, you know, what kind of feedback have you had since March 
uh, as far as your your readership and maybe some insights. Like I know when I published my book earlier this year, I got some feedback that surprised me, you know, in a good way. Like, oh, I didn't see it from that angle or I didn't realize that that part of the book was valuable in any way. So what sort of feedback have you gotten from some of your readers and what surprised you about that? So thanks for asking that question. Um, I, as I went to print publication, I went out to get some advanced praise or endorsements for print. And um, in doing that, having some folks that uh, are big thought leaders on leadership uh, endorse my book um, in an organic way, it, in a, and their actual endorsement itself provided me such insight around mm -hmm concepts and who I am uh, that I hadn't had before. So things like around connecting love to leadership and authenticity to leadership are really main themes that resonated to those uh, people who endorsed my book. And they are in that space. So that was really validating for me. Yeah. And then from readers that have read it, there are just unique things that I had in the book, but didn't think they were salient messages, like practical tips and concepts around uh, doing stay interviews as an example. So a lot of organizations will do exit interviews on the way out to see why the employee left. Uh, one of the tools and tactics I provide in the book is, is doing stay interviews and finding out what's working now and things that you need to focus on to make improvements so they stay in your organization versus, you know, kind of vote with their feet and leave. So I've had some great feedback and some amazing um, insight into what you do with data from employee engagement surveys and uh, how to view them and interpret them without judgment and bias with a, a notion to seek to understand. So I had a CEO read, read my book and like he like messaged me right away and was like, oh my goodness, like the first five chapters, like I, I had like three pages of notes in terms of what I need to be doing uh, to go forward and, and can you help me with that? And so I'm, you know, I'm happy to do so. So they're just things I wouldn't have anticipated were um, going to be all that valuable, things I thought maybe were already known out uh, in the industry. And I'm getting feedback that you know, maybe they are out there already, but I've connected the dots in a applicability way or maybe the why you need to do this kind of way. So that's been really helpful for me to hear as well. Yeah, yeah it is so helpful because I think for, for many of us, like we have this unconscious mm -hmm. competence, right? Things that come very naturally to us because we've been doing them for so long or whatever else that outside perspective or that outside feedback helps us kind of shine a light on some of those things that are unknown to us, even though we're, we're, we're so close to it. That's probably why, right? Exactly. That's really cool. So what have you done, if you don't mind me asking, to market the book? So you published the Kindle version back in March. You've got the print version coming out. Did you say early 2020? April. Yeah, April. 2021. Okay. So did you do any sort of a, like an advanced reader campaign or a launch team campaign, like anything leading up to the Kindle publication? No. <laughs> no. Okay. So the answer is funny because um, I, I had all that available to me and with my publisher, they set you up with your advanced reader campaign. Mm -hmm. And I saw some of uh, some cohort authors that were writing alongside of me do all of that. And my journey in terms of getting to the finish line to upload to Amazon to make it live, uh, it was very different. Uh, my daughter, unfortunately, was um, sick and, and hospitalized uh, mm. the weekend before we went live. And uh, prior to that, I was almost editing uh, to the finish line. So I kind of made decisions knowing I would be doing a marketing launch for audio and for print. So you, know, you just kind of make decisions 
And I said, well, I'll build all that out uh, at a later date. And that really has worked well for me through COVID because my network at the time, since I had only been focused on the book, hadn't been really strong. And my network just coming through COVID without a particular strategy, but just being engaged in some podcasts and uh, some projects with folks has really blossomed. And so now as I do go to print and audio, I have a much richer opportunity to do marketing uh, for those publications and those campaigns. So I know the traditional path and what's recommended. I think I'm unique in the fact that I didn't uh, do that and uh, it's all good and have those opportunities with the future campaigns, which I'm looking forward to. Cool. Yeah. So, so as an author outside of your publisher and does that publisher have an editor or did you go outside to a third party? Editor? Yeah. So my publisher has an edited team within. And so I had uh, at least three rounds of editing up to editor in chief. And uh, as I went to print, uh, I actually went and got just another edit between those two versions just to make it tighter for me. It's all about credibility and voice. You and have a high tolerance for pain, Shona. I do. I do. And editing is painful. And uh, I didn't realize that. You don't know what you don't know until you go through it. So I'll approach the second book a little differently, having learned some lessons along the way. Sure. And yeah, so I just went through another edit. I had the time and the opportunity to do so. And uh, I'm my own ideal reader in a sense. So I want to be able to read something that I feel is as tight as and clean as possible. You know, readers don't have a lot of time and you want to capture their interest and do it in hopefully as succinct and understandable way as you can. That's awesome. Yeah, that's where those editors come in handy because I'm very similar with as far as I'm my own ideal reader. And like yes. people say, those that's such good news. It's like, no, it's not. I have a lot of blind spots. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And then I some help. And you can get caught in the weeds uh, in the editing process too. And I wasn't trying to edit to be perfect, just edit to be as clear as I could be. Sure. Um, so as I was working out my concepts and writing the book around mindset and reflection and some of the tools that I think really helped me uh, then and, and today, uh, those are more challenging concepts for me to write about. I get it, live it, breathe it, or try to breathe it and strive towards some of those mindset tools. Uh, and writing them in for me was just, I felt a little bit, um, not clumsy, but it's new writing for me. I can write about leadership, but the more softer skills that support leadership to be the best leader you can, that was challenging. And so on the editing, I was always trying to kind of tighten that up and make that as clean as I could. So I, I, I'm not quite sure if I accomplished that in the last edition, but that was the intention. I'm sure you did with three rounds. <laughs> you would think, I don't know. Yeah. So, <laughs> the tree will be out in April. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So first of all, where are you from? There's I'm, an accent. Yes, I'm Canadian, Canadian. Uh, and temporarily a little longer than I thought I would be here in Oklahoma. So my family is in Windsor, Ontario, just across the Detroit, Michigan border. They are all there and it's been a real challenging year. I have not been able to be present because of COVID and I'm usually up every five to six weeks and I haven't seen my family since Christmas. So we are hoping wow. things clear up. Uh, our big challenge is the uh, Canada has a 14 day self quarantine requirement for anyone that can come in. So my daughter and I are both 
uh, dual citizens like Canadian and Americans so we can travel and cross, but then quarantine for 14 days and doing that with a four and a half year old is not what is ideal for her. But uh, we will see what uh, the end of October brings and ideally we'll be there at some point before the holidays. Yeah, that's awesome. Bring your iPad. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Survival tools, right? I know, I know. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Okay. So outside of the publisher and the editor, did you have any other help that's worth talking about as far as support or anything like that outside of the publishing company? No, I th within the, our publisher, they had lots of great um, tools and content to consume. And for me, it was so good. Uh, and it was different press, difference press that um, I worked with. Uh, Angela Loria, who's the um, kind of owner of that publishing firm, she has tons of content and really helpful wisdom. I, I didn't really need any of the any support in the writing. So the writing came easy. It was I felt just on the editing that I was struggling that I feel is probably an expectation that is different with me than maybe others. So yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's something for me to work through, but the writing was great. And it was just really around being clear as to who your ideal reader is and speak to them and be really niche around what pain point they were having and, and crafting the book in that way. So part of the learning for me was I understood my leadership concepts and knew the importance of them, but what problem was I trying to solve with the ideal reader? Cause they don't really know yet, perhaps what it is they're struggling with and the why behind it. And so having to have that framed out in the beginning with the outline of the book, you know, that took some time, but I felt the support I had uh, available to me through my publisher was really helpful for me to work through that. So my book is really kind of framed from the pain point of, you know, are you seeing lots of your good employees leaving your organization? So retention uh, is a challenge in a lot of organizations, either people leaving your own departments, uh, internal transfers, or, or leaving altogether. And a lot of leaders don't understand the why. So they just think it's money or you know other issues, and they don't dive deep into that. And so then when you do, you find a lot of opportunity to have that look different. Yeah, I feel like retention in, in culture, right? Um, just trying to develop a, a strong culture it's tough. Like that's kind of a hot, one of those softer, but hot topics right now, I find. It um, is. And people, you know, so you hear leaders talk about, we have a strong culture and um, we believe in culture and okay, those are wonderful statements and thoughts. And how do you really understand what your culture is? For how me? do you measure that? Right. Correct. Exactly. Kind how of that intangible thing. Correct. So you know, understanding how your employees make decisions and the why they make them, how they interact. Those are all elements and outcomes of your culture, good or not so good. And, you know, just saying your culture strong doesn't really mean it's lived in that same way uh, in your day-to-day -day interactions from all of your, your employees and leaders. And so yeah. it's hard for senior leaders to really understand that and test that. And there are indicators that help you uh, understand that deeper and better. And one of the indicators I think most leaders know is your retention. They don't understand the multiple layers that really uh, need to be understood to get that true picture of culture. So employee sure. scores are, are certainly one, one mechanism, but it's taking a look at all of the things that are important to employees, uh, communication being a really big one. And 
it's not just doing a video and saying you've communicated with your employees or you've done, you know, you've written a newsletter or a blog or a memo. Uh, that's a one-way communication. How do you know that's effective? How are you getting the input, the questions, the perspectives? How do you how do you get those you know, sources of information from employees in a one-way kind of communication town hall kind of approach. Right. So in the book, I kind of go through all of the different mechanisms and tools that bi-directional communication could be effective in your organization. Most importantly, it's the check-in with employees to see if they've heard your message. So you could have even bi-directional communication channels available, and yet for some reason your employees haven't really heard or understood the message you're trying to convey. So how do you know that? You have to go back and, and check with them and find out if what you're saying and doing is actually effective. And so there's many different layers to it. Uh, and I go through that in my book and, um, you know, you pick one or two that are your hottest pain points uh, and focus on those. You can't implement everything and that isn't the intention, but it's looking through your organizational data and information and really getting a sense as to kind of where your priorities need to be to address the hot spots that you have. Hmm. Cool. So in your experience, as it relates to retention issues or culture or communication breakdowns or some of these issues that your book is addressing, like what's the biggest obstacle? What's, what's the biggest challenge or the common issue that you, you see going on within these organizations? I think it's uh, the biggest one I see is the CEO or senior leader not understanding how their employees are feeling uh, at all. They're just disconnected. So I, I did a well, I would consider, feeling. What does feeling have to do with it? I know exactly. I mean, we're all humans working together, <laughs> uh, trying to get through this life, and you need to treat your employees as such. And you, that sounds so you know, easy and simple. And yet it, it isn't. And I think a lot of senior leaders make assumptions. Uh, and I'm sure I did too throughout my career that everything is fine and everything's good. And I don't have an ability to kind of check in with that. And so I, I, I did an assertive, uh, for me, edgier post on LinkedIn uh, last week. Uh, I have someone from Gary Vanderchuk's team, Gary V's team on the side, doing some side work with me and uh, on LinkedIn. And he told me, we're going to do an experiment, whatever you just kind of, you know, mentioned around the need for senior leaders to be connected. We're going to, in employee voice on LinkedIn, we're going to put that in a post and you're going to post it. And I was uh, uncomfortable to say the least. I hadn't whipped out a post in five minutes ever in my life. And to do that on something I hadn't really thought through and felt passionate about uh, was a little um, nerve wracking for me. And so, yeah, I posted it in the, um, the intention was to really say there's a lot of leaders on LinkedIn having these big platitudes of we believe in employee engagement and employee voice or culture or whatever it is. And yet I know in some of those organizations, the employees are feeling very different. And so how do you incorporate what you're hearing from employees into your post and talk about it and address it? Because those employees who are seeing those platitudes on LinkedIn are the ones that are on LinkedIn looking for another job because they don't feel that that is the environment that they're working in. And so there's a big disconnect. So I got some really interesting engagement and some interesting perspectives on that where employees do want to be heard and want to have a voice. LinkedIn is not that platform for them because they can't say anything with their name and title attached to it without fear of, of um, you know, being fired or repercussions. And so how do we connect the two and how do senior leaders 
really understand there's a different perspective out there that they need to pay attention to and course correct and be open to that. And I think with some senior leaders, there's a fear to leave the office. There's been a lot of fear since COVID uh, related to many factors. And if the, you know, your organization didn't respond well or prepare well or didn't communicate well, uh, there's a fear to face that on the front line. And sure. I, I understand that that's a human emotion. And yet staying in the office disconnected isn't the answer either. And so I think there are safe ways that you can bring people together and do the honoring of listening to employees' views and perspectives as part of their moving forward as well. And you hearing that helps shift your perspective as to what could be done differently in the future. Yeah, I love that. So at a very early age, and I don't remember who this was, and I was probably a teenager, but somewhere I saw like a metaphor for a business and it was a tree. And, and I've seen it again. I mean, this isn't anything new, but it was a tree. And on the branches, you had all the, the fruit, the sales, the marketing, the leads, the profits, the revenue, you know, all the fruit that the business was, you know, bared at the time. And underneath that, you had all the roots and everything that you're talking about, to me, is some of the softer skills, the relationship skills, the emotional intelligence capabilities within senior leadership. Like to me, that's all strengthening the, the, the roots. And if you strengthen the roots, you'll bear better fruit, right? So I love, you know, everything that we're talking about. And I think that's so important, especially now with everything going on. I agree. And it's easier to prune the tree than to have to dig the roots out and see what's going on. That's a harder, that's a harder path. It's so it is easier for us senior leaders. I know because I've been in the senior leadership shoes for many years it's easier to attend to kind of the, the service of the tree or service problems and deal with marketing or deal with whatever the projects are. Uh, it's easier. You feel like you're accomplishing something. You, there's a check mark you can put in the box. So you know, you've provided value that day. And that isn't the same when you're trying to navigate through what's happening at the front lines and it's right. harder and it's more uncomfortable. It feels like it takes more time. It will bring up, issues that now you know you have to address because you've heard them and there's just so much there so i think it's easier for us to just kind of deal with the funner things so to speak that give us more of an easy reward of yes i can check the box and i got that done and in some organizations that's what senior leaders are motivated towards so they're not incentivized really to understand the reality at the front line they're incentivized to add value to the you know to their share price or they're incentivized right for their bonuses for increased market share or increased revenue. So it's really understanding those drivers and yet it's your employee base that will deliver on all those goals. So if you want to deliver on you know X, Y, and Z set from your board or in your bonus, you can't do that without the conditions uh, at the front lines being addressed so that they can do their best work in the best conditions possible. So it's kind of connecting those dots for senior leaders uh, because it is, sometimes overwhelming to think, how am I going to continue to engage, engage employees in front of decisions versus just telling them how it's going to be and how right. I engage with them and understand them and spend time with them. And uh, I think a lot of the most successful leaders and organizations have found that path and figured that that's where their work is and that is what they need to do. And so I'm just here to kind of advocate for that as well, based on my own experience of getting it right. And then sometimes not so much yeah. from that. Uh, and then backing that up with a lot of research and studies that validate that that is indeed the case. 
Yeah, that's cool. I, I think it's a tough shift though, right? Because we're all, a lot of us are used to these quick wins, short-term gains, just survive and, you know, bear better fruit with more fruit. You know, we need more sales, get more leads, whatever it might be. So just quick win after quick win, which is very costly, I find, especially when you're talking about marketing. And it's it's very, it's just a different way of approaching everything to, you know, get behind that, go underneath it, get to the roots of some of these issues to solve for the long term when there's all that pressure to yeah. quota or stop, you know, share whatever it might be. Um, so I'd imagine it's a very difficult shift if you've been in that short term fix and quick win behavior for months, years, decades, you know, know. like depends on the leader's journey, but maybe all they've been exposed to. And I'm really passionate about setting the expectations um, uh, from the top, from the board levels. So unfortunately, in a few organizations I've worked at, the dysfunction and toxic cultures started at the board level. And it's so the board makes decisions, sets expectations for the CEO and that dictates how the CEO is going to show up and expect things from their senior leadership team. It's what they're going to be focused on. So it's really understanding at the board level how they make decisions on priorities, how they incentivize the CEO, what goals they set for him, and understand the implications of what that is for the front line. And not a lot of boards are really equipped with the knowledge of employee engagement, employee retention, all the research. So the CEO is going to have to bring in some of those resources for the board so they understand it's just sure. not a shareholder price. It's not about what the profit and losses are. It is a bigger picture. So there's a lot of education that has to happen there as well. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. A lot of what you're, you're talking about reminds me of many years ago, I read a book called The Call to the Customer. And one of the big takeaways that I still remember today is the author was really drilling into the reader that your employees are your best customers. Absolutely. So it kind of starts there. You have to treat your employees like they are the best, most valued customers in the world because it's what they are. And if they're treated with respect and treated well, they're going to just simply turn around, role model that behavior right out to the public. For sure. And the example I've been uh, mentioning lately, it's come up in a, a few other conversations is it's like asking your nurses and physicians to provide loving, compassionate care at the bedside. When they leave the patient room, it is chaos, dysfunction, toxicity. Uh, They're fearful. They don't understand what's happening. They have no knowledge of decisions being made that impact them. So they have to live that and yet interface with patients who need their compassion and their patients as they're going through some really challenging times with their health at that point. So like, how do you expect to have compassionate care and hit all of your goals related to to patient and family centered care that you and the board set when they're working in chaos without supplies they need, without trusting the organization has their back or is caring about them as they care for patients. Like it, it doesn't really line up to how that could even be possible. So I, I, you know, maybe an example to help understand why, employees are critical to build them in to all of your decision making in terms of decisions that impact them and let them have a voice. They see it, live it, experience it. 
Uh, they need to be part of that framework. And the complexity is, is how do you do that in big organizations? And how, when you're busy yourself as a senior leader, you can, can you, how do you do that? And that's the mindset shift that you're kind of alluding to when you've always operated and led in a certain way to have to open your mind up to the possibility that this is the only way to really achieve what you're hoping to from an organizational goal and strategy perspective. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it's behavior change. Mm-hmm. Both know is difficult, can yeah. be difficult, right? Yes, absolutely. We live it every day, always yeah. to improve. Yeah, cool. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about beyond the book here. So the book came out, it's done really well. You got some great reviews. Thanks for sharing all of that insight. That's so valuable. So let's talk about your business. Yes. I'm assuming that the book supports oh, the business I think model. You're I don't want to make any assumptions. So Oh, do we lose you? Oh, back. There we go. Technical difficulties. Okay. So are you are you back? You good? I'm back. Okay. Cross our fingers, right? So I, I'm assuming the book supports the business model. Is that right? So tell me a little bit about your business. Yeah. Again, I think I'm a unique with my path. Um, I had planned since I wrote the and started this path with Savannah being in school last August, you know, I had the naive assumption that March 13th, the day after my book uh, dropped on Amazon, I would work out the structural components of the business. I had, you know, done enough where I had a website up. I knew generally what kind of offering I wanted to be providing. Uh, And so with COVID, Savannah became homeschooled. And so my priority is Savannah. And that's why I kind of went on this path is to be able to be with her and present and not working my ADR work weeks away from the home. And so I'm kind of like, wow, you know, the first couple of weeks with COVID and her at homeschool and I supposed to be marketing and doing all this stuff, you know, that created a lot of tension inside me to be able to like, you know, wrestle with that. And uh, I'm in a a mentorship group with Marianne Williamson. Uh, and she, uh, I was talking with her about that in April and she gave me advice that reminded me of what I already knew. It's all in God's timing or in the universe's timing, whatever you you know ascribe to and what will be, will be my main priority is Savannah and let the rest of the frenetic energy to get stuff done let it go. And I'm so grateful for that reminder because that has been the success of my my career. Everything is lined up through, I believe, God or universe's hands. And when I try to go after it, it's never as amazing or beautiful as when it just kind of lines up itself. So with letting that go, as uh, the universe and God provides, amazing things have opened up, not aligned in any type of strategy that would be best practice or I would recommend for an entrepreneur. Uh, and yeah, I've been able to help and provide service to, uh, senior leaders that are in need, some teams that have needed help. I'm just about to complete, uh, the design and writing of a graduate level, uh, course in healthcare leadership for, uh, University of Ontario, which is, uh, I would never have anticipated that. And I'm being pulled into like all these new spaces, uh, around emotional intelligence and, uh, our future from a technology perspective. Uh, that I hadn't anticipated some interesting and magical doors have opened there. And really uh, looking at um, female leadership in the founding and funding uh, area. So as uh, there are angel investors out there and a lot of groups that are um, funding female founders, 
And we have female founders who typically haven't been funded in the past. I think it's only 2.8 or 9% of all funding goes to women. I think that's going to change really wow. quickly. Yeah, it's a, wow. I didn't realize that myself. Mm-hmm. And I see now and have had uh, the blessing to interact with some amazing, generous uh female funders. Uh, and uh, I think that that statistics is going to change uh, quickly uh, in the right direction. But there's some interesting leadership pieces. So for anyone, anyone who's you know a founder of their own business and is trying to secure funding from funders, there's this interesting dynamic in the choosing of that individual. Most entrepreneurs want funding any way they can get it. And so you usually have to get it with an equity partner. Uh, if the model is that is designed that way. And so you just take what you can get. And if you feel the equity share is something you can live with, you take it. And you don't really understand as a founder what that funder is going to do in your organization. So are they hands on and is their values and integrity and their why of funding aligned with yours as the founder? And how do you understand that, assess that and build that into your selection process? And how do funders as they try to get their networks built out support that knowledge with the funders themselves you know why are funders funding is it driven from a place of wanting to help or roi power because you can support people like what's the real why there and kind of understanding that and aligning it so there's some interesting leadership elements that i've gotten pulled into uh the summer that's been really fascinating. And uh, all that should line up at some point to a strategy and a niche. Uh, Savannah just started back school a few weeks ago. I have a bit more capacity, uh, but she's kind of been in and out of school with some some health problems. So every time I think I got to step forward, I have a new mindset challenge <laughs> to work through with her being home and figuring. Just, out. just summon Marianne's guidance, right? Exactly. It's in my head all the time and, you know, just go with the flow. It will be what it is. And the doors that have opened up for me, I couldn't work 80 hours a week and open those up myself. So it's not me putting me in these positions. I think there's a greater purpose to be served and curious to see where it all goes. And in the meantime, just helping out where I'm called to help out and just providing my expertise and research and a shift in perspective to get senior leaders and organizations where they need to be. Good for you. I, I love the way you're approaching all this. I mean, I think at times I have, you know, if I have a, a, a plan in place and I'm goal driven and all the rest of it, and I get into one of those modes, like I get really frustrated. Right. So I give you so much credit because there are so many outside external factors at play here with your situation, with all of our situations. And I think you've got such a good attitude and such a good mindset about it that you're just calm, cool and collected and going with the flow. I think um, one of my biggest mentors, Wayne Dyer, always used to say, oh, yeah. infinite patience delivers immediate results. Absolutely. You know, so I just think it's so important to remain patient and just have the right outlook on it, which is so neat. It you is. dropped her. That, that was a big deal. But you just nonchalantly said you were working with Marianne Williamson. Uh-huh. I mean, that, that is so cool. I want to geek out about that now. Yeah, it's again kind of God's or universe hand at play. Um, as I published my book, uh, our publisher had a, a working relationship with Marianne, and she's been a big fan of Marianne's for a long time. 
And as Amiria stepped down from the Democratic uh, campaign, she was looking for what to do next. And so they struck up uh, the opportunity for the first time for Marianne to take on some mentors in the author space. So Marianne's written 12 or 13 books and is quite active on the social media platforms with her voice and, and what she's wanting to change uh, in the world. Uh, and so there's a group of, I think, 19 or 20 authors that uh, from April to the end of December, I think we're going to extend it because COVID has uh, altered some of our in-person events. So I think we'll probably go into March. We've just been able to meet with her every two weeks and talk about you know, what it means to be an author. How do we write? How do we write in a voice that's authentic to ourselves? Uh, and how do we work through that um, process? So cool. It's really so cool. amazing. She's uh, and just an incredible lady. I've had an opportunity to speak with her one-on-one for a great length of time. And uh, just her alignment with faith and in God and her journey from a spirituality perspective uh, is just amazing. And she's open and candid and shares what she worked well for her and where she was off path and where she struggled and continues to as uh, a human. And there's huge value in that. And the network of other authors and a few of them in the leadership space has been it's been wonderful as well. So we can talk about leadership or whatever we need to talk about through the lens of leadership and from what we're learning uh, as a collective together with Marianne. That's so neat. That's awesome. So helpful too, to be a part of a mastermind. And I think we both uh, put two and two together last week. Uh, Dr. JJ Kelly, who was yes. a guest on the show a few weeks ago, is actually in that group. With she you, is. Right? Yes, she is. Yeah. She's a uh, she just has this great energy about her. She is her she's own person and, and yeah, she embraces it. And uh, I admire that. She is an inspiration living who she is in her interactions. It's wonderful. Yeah, I emailed her. I gave her a hard time because when you told me that she was in the mastermind, I'm like, you withheld information. You didn't oh. tell me you were with oh. Marianne every two weeks, you know? Yeah. So cool. uh, it's, yeah, it's a huge gift and it's an amazing, you know, it's kind of like a sisterhood in a lot of ways. It's awesome. That's awesome. Going back a few minutes, I, I love what you just were talking about as far as funding is concerned. Mm -hmm. Because so, so my sister was recently on Shark Tank. Oh, and, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I think they it was in Vegas. This you know, LA is just in really bad shape right now, and everyone had to fl fly to Vegas, and I think they quarantined for a while. But uh, she was on Shark Tank. She can't tell any. You know, I'm trying to get everything <laughs> I can out of her. Like, what was the outcome? But she's keeping a secret for now. Um, and it is amazing because she was, I talked to her before she went on and it was all speculative, you know, here are the sharks, here's who's going to be there on this mm -hmm. season. And if, if so-and-so gave me a deal, I got to think through this. And if so-and-so did a deal, I got to, you know, cause if you're going on that show or if you're anyone looking for outside funding, those are some questions, like some seriously important and probably difficult questions. Half of them you don't know yet. Yes. That's a process you need to go through because what a bad mistake you can make if you partner up with, you know, someone who isn't aligned with where you want to take things or, you know what I mean? So I love that you're into that. It's such a unique niche almost. It is. And um, I'm not, sure how I will build all of that out, but I've had a number of interesting conversations and I've had, uh, you know, a few folks I've been able to support in that space. And um, it's so critical because founders are just desperate for any capital that they can raise. And so you, that's your only 
kind of driver and you're not and how much equity they'll take if they're going to fund you. So those are kind of the two lenses you're looking through and you're kind of blind to the rest of it because um, you need money and you, you have a great idea and you want to survive. So understanding that in a deeper way from a founder perspective. And I think there's some ownership on the funder side. I had an interesting conversation with uh, an incredible female uh, funder and she's been a founder as well. And we talked that through a little bit in terms of, you know, how funders show up in their leadership style, what they look for in their approach and how do you assess both things. So it's like a dating, it's a relationship. And so building all that in into these pitch summits, I think is really critical. So she's hosting her pitch summit uh, in May, her first one for female founders in San Diego. And um, just in doing, I did a podcast interview with her yesterday and we had a lot of interesting conversations on the front and back end as to how that could you know, look and be built out. And she gets it. She's an amazing people person, understands the value of connection with employees and understanding their why at the workplace. And she's all about seeing things herself, very visual. And so she gets it intuitively. I, I wouldn't have any questions with her uh, in that space. But yet I hear horror stories of other uh, founders really wasting years because they've gotten bad advice, bad direction, bad coaching. And uh, in a way that the relationship didn't allow them to push back and say, mm -hmm. hey, I hear where you're coming from. Understand the bigger context and let's try to figure this out together. Right. Uh, kind of felt intimidated. They didn't want to risk the relationship, don't want to risk the capital. They had the imposter syndrome, like I don't know anything. They know everything. They've been successful. Which wow. are all natural, and it's the unpacking of that. So I think there's so much focus on uh, what the ROI is going to be, the valuation of the company, terminal value. When do people want to exit? Like there's so much focus on all of those things, the revenue stream, and you know your capacity to to live up to that. All important elements, and yet this relationship piece, in my view, is um, the single most uh, important factor to really determine success. And on the funder side, it's really understanding the leadership setup, depending on how early stage the startup is. So mm. it's a, you know, it's been around for a year, you know, who are the key players at the leadership table? A lot of times it is, you know, a couple, couple friends over drinks one night, you know, saying, Hey, we got a great idea. All of a sudden that unravels to them leading the organization and are they the right people or are the values aligned? And, you know, we all know about kind of fit for culture and organizations, and that is as key as ever at the startup. And usually startup doesn't happen by saying, hey, are you a fit for the culture of an organization we haven't started yet? Right. <laughs> so how do you assess that? And then, you know, you're six months in, you've both invested your own money, you kind of bootstrapped it. And no one's really kind of talked about that cultural elements and any new hires that come on, how do they fit in? So you don't think of that, you know, employee number three, I'm sure Facebook, when they were on employee number three, gave that a lot of thoughts. So that's sure. how startups start, you know, a couple of line people, great ideas, energetic, want to work together. And that's key for the beginning. But how does that serve you in the long run to be sustainable? And so funders and founders both need to understand that. And there's not, I haven't done in-depth research yet, but I've done enough research to know there's not a lot of pe people really talking about that important mm -hmm. element. There's a lot of literature on valuation and equity share and all of that, but um, not in the softer stuff. Wow. Yeah. It's almost like matchmaking. It is. Right. Yeah. That's really cool. 
Yeah. And like not on the finances, you couldn't imagine. Well, you shouldn't in a relationship be looking at how much are you worth and how much are you going to give me for that worth? It's about fit and relationship and right. the ability to show up as yourselves for your own dreams and wishes uh, and being transparent about that right from the beginning to kind of have a relationship that is going to be successful and sustainable. Yeah. I love that. I love that. All right. So if we want to buy your book, Shona, or find you online, where can people go? Sure. Uh, my book's on Amazon and the link is on my website. So if you go to Shona Elliott, S-H-O-N-A-E-L-L-I-O-T-T.org, uh, you'll find my information there. My social handles are connected there. I'm only really active at the moment on LinkedIn. Uh, and I will eventually, with a bit of capacity, uh, build out my social media things on the platforms. But right now, if you do want to find me in an active space, LinkedIn has been my uh, been my go-to place. So that'll look different soon enough, but my website has all of my information and you can get a copy of my book through there. And I've also offered strategy sessions for folks that want to kind of talk about challenges and uh, I can provide some support that way as well. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. So based on our conversation here today, what is one piece of wisdom you can bestow on our listeners and viewers today? I think it's the theme of our discussion, which is employees are, are human and need to be thought of as such. And as a senior leader, it's honoring that, acknowledging that and connecting with that as a human yourself, not wearing your suit or your CEO title. Uh, and I think as senior leaders can find a way every day to keep that in the forefront of their minds, their organizations will be better served as a result of that. Love it. Well, thank you. Thanks thank for being you. on the show today, Shauna. Thank you for what you're doing. I appreciate it. All right, Sean here again. Thanks so much for joining us this week. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to my podcast so you can catch future episodes. Also, go ahead and give it an honest rating so you can let other people know what you thought of the show. Take care and make it a great day.